You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 as we continue our time of worship together in God's Word. Um, it has yet again been an interesting week all across our nation. Um, different tragedies and uh, different acts that are just um, crazy when you think about it, the kind of world that we live in. Um, and so I am thankful that we have come to this particular part of our passage this morning um, because it is just a reminder of the hope that we have in our God. So let me just remind you that we are looking at the book of Acts and we're looking at specific things in the life of the church uh, that should be a part of every single church that exists. Uh, it's universal characteristics that we see right at the onset. And those characteristics are to be applied to every church um, in order for us to be the kind of church that God has called us to be. And so Acts chapter 4 is the heart of where we've been at uh, for the last couple of weeks. Let me just remind you of these things because I, I don't want to lose sight of all that we're looking at uh, just by looking at all the details. And so I want us to see these characteristics and be reminded of them each week. We are a people, the body of Christ. We are a people who are dependent upon God's spirit. We have Jesus as our message. We are a part of a people who are a biblical community. We come together to live out God's word together. We have a ministry of healing. This ought to be a place where when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they come and find spiritual healing from all of their spiritual sickness. And we ought to be a place, as we've been looking, about, looking at in the last few weeks, uh, we ought to be a place that is filled with supernatural boldness when it comes to speaking God's word. So we come to the tail end of that last characteristic, supernatural boldness. And this is an incredibly important message, not only for us as the church, but then certainly for our graduates as well as they think about their life ahead. So as we look at this, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. If you found your place there in Acts chapter four. And we're going to read together, beginning verse 23 this morning. Again, I would encourage you to go back and to read this uh, together as a family later on, the first part of the chapter, if you've not been with us. Uh, but verse 23 and following. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we pray again now that you would come and that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would remove the blinders from our eyes, that you would soften our hearts to hear and to receive your word. And God, as we read what we read here today, I pray that we would be stirred supernaturally this morning to an incredible boldness to speak your word and to live in obedience to your word in a culture that has jettisoned all sense of godliness. Lord, help us to be faithful, to understand, to read, and to apply what we see here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I am thankful that uh, the riots that we're facing in our country and our world right now were not the first riots to take place. In fact, long before Jesus even lived, it was spoken that they would rise up and riot against Jesus. Do you remember the riots that happened then? A crowd that cried out, crucify. And Jesus died for the sins of the world. And praise God, everything that God was doing then, he was doing by his sovereign control. And now, even now, God is still seated on his throne. And we have nothing to fear in the world that is around us. Amen? Absolutely nothing to fear. We can live with great faith in a world that seems to be dead set against Jesus and against anything right. And so with that, we come to this story again in the book of Acts. If this is the first time you've joined us, let me just kind of review just a little bit for you. Peter and John have come to the temple. They have begun preaching the word, the gospel to the people there. There was a a beggar at the gate called Beautiful. This beggar had his life entirely changed by Jesus. He was healed from his lameness and he comes into the temple and he begins leaping for joy. Because he recognizes what Jesus has done in his life. And he gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Everybody in the temple is completely amazed at what's happened in the life of this beggar. And we find out that 5,000 people that day at the temple mount gave their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. And began to follow him and serve him with their lives. An amazing story. And yet there was a group of people that were upset and angry. Because Jesus came in and he threatened, he threatened their doctrine, their theology, uh, what they believed. But more than that, he threatened the authority that they had, the power that they had. And anytime Jesus comes into a person's life, there's a decision that must be made. Is Jesus going to sit on the throne of that heart or are we going to sit on the throne of our own hearts? 
And these this group of people decided they wanted power. They wanted authority. And Jesus was a threat. So they must silence the gospel. But again, as we've said the last few weeks, the takeaway from the story is not the response of the government that's, that they were. The, res, the, the takeaway is the response of the church. That no matter what the government did and no matter what anyone did, they in an unrelenting fashion continued to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same, the same kind of burden is on the church today. That despite anything in our culture, be it cultural resistance or government resistance or anything else that you can imagine, no matter what comes along in our culture, it is incumbent upon the church today to continue to speak the word with boldness. Because the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. The gospel is still the greatest news in the world and the gospel must be preached. And God has called you and I to do it. So the church, we've looked at this truth again and again throughout this passage. The church must confront the world with the truth of the gospel with supernatural boldness. We see it there in the actions of Peter and John. We can look at their lives and say, yes, that's what the church should be about. We're going to see it here in a moment in our passage this morning as they come back to the church and the whole church is filled with boldness. Verse 13, we see it. They looked at the even the world. The Sadducees looked at Peter and John and they saw the boldness in their life. There is this unbelievable change that happens in the life of a person when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Everything's changed for them. And there's a supernatural boldness that fills their heart. And we know that this word so far, we've seen that this word is almost always applied in a moment of speaking. Unleashing the tongue to speak what God has given to speak. Most of the time it's a moment of honesty or straightforwardness whenever no one else is willing to hear. It's to take great confidence and great courage to proclaim what is true and what is right. And this is what the church prayed for. A boldness. And it's a boldness that is supernatural. It is not natural. It's not built into us. We are prone to fear. We're prone to worry, especially when it comes to what others around us think or what others around us do. But the reality is we must remain bold in our speaking and our living for the truth. And so consequently, consequently, it is a boldness that cannot be contained, a gospel message that cannot be silenced. And we praise the Lord for that. So in that, we've seen a couple of different ways so far that Peter and John were bold and therefore ways that we should be bold. We should be bold absolutely in our message. Again, I say to you this morning that they they arrested Peter and John for preaching Jesus. And almost comically, what's the very first thing that they do after they get arrested for for preaching Jesus and then let go? They go on preaching Jesus as if nothing had happened. And so this is a message that must be preached. It's a message that must be heard and we must do it. But if you're going to preach the gospel, know this, that it is a message that confronts the error of the culture. Either Jesus is true and everyone else a liar or everyone else is true and Jesus is a liar, but they cannot be together truth. Jesus alone is truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. 
Every truth that we have proceeds out of the creation of Jesus Christ. He is truth. And so it confronts the error of the culture. It also transforms the lives of sinners. You can't go on living in falsehood if you come to life in Jesus Christ. You're changed. Totally different. And in that, it declares the authority of Christ. Every time the gospel is preached, it is Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it means that Jesus is reigning over our lives. Jesus must be all authority because he has all authority. And then it defends the exclusivity of salvation. Jesus as being the only way to be saved. There is no other way apart from Jesus Christ to be saved. We must be bold in that message. Amen. We must be bold. And then we saw last week that we must be bold in our obedience, because if Jesus is preached, if you stand for the gospel, you are inevitably going to face opposition. Sometimes that opposition is even going to come from the authorities of our land. And so they were faced, Peter and John, faced with the decision whether they were going to obey Christ or whether they were going to obey the government. And as I said to you last week, we this doesn't always mean that we always disobey the government whenever we please. I hope that you'll if you weren't here with us last week, I hope that you'll go back and listen to that message. But we looked at the question, when is civil disobedience permitted or even mandated in the life of the Christian? And the answer biblically is when we are forced to choose between obedience to God and obedience to man, we must choose obedience to God. There is no other choice. And so when that happens, we, we realize that our lives are different. We're motivated to that kind of obedience because of a transformed life through the power of the gospel. We're enabled to disobey and to obey God because he's changed us. Our heart is for him. We have a life that's surrendered to the authority of God. All authority ultimately comes from God. And so every every authority bows the knee to his authority. When we're forced to choose, we must obey God. And it's a life passionate about the mission of God. We have a life that must continue to be passionate about the mission of God. And so it comes down to this in our obedience. We must be completely sold out to Jesus no matter what opposition comes our way. And can I say that that message is incredibly relevant to our graduates? Because Garrett and Amber, you're going into a world that doesn't want you to obey Christ. And that makes it far easier not to and that applauds you when you don't. And it is going to take a supernatural, bold obedience in your life to remain faithful to the King. But I want you to know that this morning that it is absolutely worth it. And every moment of compromise is a moment of destruction and disaster. Continue to remain bold in your obedience for Christ. Third, and this is the heart of our passage this morning. Not only are we bold in our message and bold in our obedience, but we must be bold in our faith. We must be bold in our faith. The Sanhedrin is essentially the high court. Of the day. 
They are religious leaders, but within Israel, there was not much of a distinction between what was the civil government and what was the religious government. They were one and the same. In fact, the Sanhedrin was given their power and authority within a Roman uh, empire by Rome. They, They told the Sanhedrin, these Sadducees, if you will remain faithful to us and allow us to to take up residence, to make this the Roman Empire, then we will continue to allow you to be in authority. This is why much of what happened in the crucifixion of Jesus was a a, a joint action between Rome and Israel because they were, in effect, acting together. And so in this story, this Sanhedrin was essentially like the Supreme Court of the United States. And they bring these two men to trial and they say, we've got to do something. They cannot continue to usurp our authority. Imagine if if we lived in a nation like China or a nation like uh, a, a country like Turkey, where where we were at risk every day and, and Christianity was illegal and we were at risk every day of our lives if we went on preaching Jesus. Imagine standing before the high court of the land and told being told you can never speak in the name of Jesus again. It was an interesting story here, though, because in the middle of Israel, in the middle of Jerusalem, there was no there was no law ultimately being broken. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, in terms of man's law, there was no law being broken. Jesus was, in fact, meeting both the civil law and the spiritual law. He was the son of God. He was living exactly as he should and claiming to be exactly who he was. And he had broken no law. A great injustice in human terms was done when Jesus was crucified. And so these disciples, when they come before the Sanhedrin, they're struggling. The Sanhedrin is struggling to find a reason to hold them. Notice in verse 13 that they recognized they had been with Jesus. There, there was something distinct about these men. But in verse 14, it says, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is an amazing thing. So many good things were coming out of the church. God was doing so many powerful things. That not only did they have no legal reason to bind them, but they ultimately had nothing to say against them because of all the good that they were doing in the culture. Again, the middle of verse 16, you see it again. A notable sign has been performed through them. And in in other words, it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. So what do they resort to do? Verse 17 tells us, in order that they may spread it no further among the people, they say, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so Peter and John ultimately refused to obey that order. We saw that last week. That cause was a that that order was a cause for direct disobedience of civil authority because God had said, preach Jesus. So verse 20, 21, after they refused to obey the government, verse 21 says that they let them go. Notice this carefully, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. They could not. They could ignore a lot of things, but they could not listen to this carefully. They could not ignore the legitimacy of the Christian gospel. They could not deny the fact that Jesus was changing people's lives. 
The only thing they could hope to do is create an unjust act and attempt to silence the message of the church. Now, Peter and John, after this happened, go back to the church and they tell them all that has happened. Side note, by the way, may this absolutely be true of our church. Amen. That that when the gospel is preached here, that people's lives are being changed. And no matter what anyone tries to do to silence that message, that it cannot be stopped. And what God is doing here among us cannot be denied or ignored. May that be true among us. Amen. And so they go back to the church and they report all that's happened. It says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together to God. They were bold in the moment whenever they were facing the Sanhedrin. But clearly that boldness was in that moment and they were still somewhat shaken by what had just taken place. You ever been in that kind of a situation? Where in the moment there's kind of this boldness to do what you're supposed to do. But in the background, in the back of your mind, you're going, what in the world just happened to me? Have you ever been there? I imagine that that Christians across our world right now, days like today, whenever people are facing persecution all over the world, I imagine that being bold for their faith and going back to the to the churches where they gather, they've just got to go. I just can't believe this. What are we going to do? Have you ever been at the place in your life where you got to the place you didn't have an answer for what came next? Have you ever been there? You just didn't have an answer. I mean, I mean you, couldn't, you couldn't figure it out. You couldn't plan anything. You couldn't do anything. You just don't know. Everything that you're up against seems like impossible circumstances. You're trying to obey Jesus. You're trying to do what you're supposed to do and you know you're supposed to do. But you come against this wall and it's like every time you come to this wall, there is no answer beyond that. And you don't know at all what to do. Anybody ever been there this morning? Some of us. What they're coming up against is a place where the only thing they knew to do is to cry out to God. They turn to the Lord. This was a thing that was not going away. And they knew it. They were going to be faced again. In fact, if you go to the next chapter and then just continue to read in Acts, what you'll find is that much of the early church became under very intense persecution. And many of them, as we read Christian history, lost their lives. Some of them in the same way as Jesus, Peter being a similar one, crucified. And so this this picture of, of persecution was not going away. And I want you to know, Christian, there is going to be a day in your life, there will be days, maybe even seasons, months, years in your life when you absolutely do not have an answer. If you've not faced it, you will face it. And maybe it will be persecution because you're a Christian. Or maybe it will be because of a particular trial that you're going through. Or maybe there will be days whenever everything that you're facing doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. Maybe you've been manipulated. Maybe there's an injustice been uh, handed to you. Maybe there simply seems like no way forward. Maybe you're intimidated by what you're facing and it's simply not going away. And the question is, what do you do? And it says that when they heard it, when the church heard what had happened, 
They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. The bedrock principle of all of life. Christian, non-Christian, the bedrock principle of our very existence is the reality that our God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over pandemics. He's sovereign over rioters. He's sovereign over racism. He's sovereign over police departments. He's sovereign over the president. He's sovereign over every world power. Our God is in control of all things. He has all power, all authority, and no one removes him from the throne. Sovereign God. The bedrock principle of our lives is to come to the place that we confess that God is in fact sovereign. Because everything in our nature resists the sovereignty of God in our life. What do I mean by that? Everything in our nature says, I want to rule the world. I want to lead this this particular country and this nation and this Sanhedrin. I want to run my life. I want to choose my career. I want to fix uh, every circumstance in my life. I want to make my kids do this. And I want to make uh, these others do that. I want to stop these writers. I want to take matters into my own hands. Everything in our nature wants to do that. Amen? If you don't say amen, you're lying. <laughs> everything in our nature wants to take control. And yet... Our very existence depends on the fact that Jesus Christ is in sovereign control. And we are called and commanded to submit our lives to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as Lord. Everything in our life is rooted on this one bedrock principle. And the recognition of that truth then leads to the only response that the church can have when God is sovereign. You see, when God's in control and God has said what we are to do and God is arranging the events in the world according to his perfect will, when God is doing all of that, there's only one right response that the church can have. By the way, a response from which everything flows in our lives. And that response is faith. The only thing that we can do whenever we don't have the reins is to trust How many of you have ever been in a car with a teenager whenever they first start driving? Anybody? Okay. All right. Some of us. Yeah. Brand new almost. Anybody ever press that invisible brake pedal on the the passenger side? Yeah. We know what it's like to not be in control and to want with everything in us to try to find somehow to control our environment. But the reality is, can I just burst your bubble for a moment? You don't have any ultimate control. You don't have any. But God has all ultimate control. Sovereign God. And if that's true, I don't want the steering wheel. I don't want the brake pedal. I don't want anything else. No matter how much my nature gets frantic and gets worried about what's going on around me. I want God to be steering this thing. And he already is. He already is. And so the only only response we can have is faith. What does that faith look like? 
Well, this prayer of the church, by the way, it is a prayer. And this prayer of the church is a confession of faith in Christ. It's a confession of faith and particularly three different ways, three different ways. Number one, it is a confession of faith in God as our sovereign creator, our sovereign creator. So it says that when they heard the story, they didn't say, let's go charge down the gates of the Sanhedrin. They said, let's get on our knees and let's pray. And when they do, they cry out, Sovereign Lord, who, by the way, made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I sat on my back porch this week at a point and um, just thinking on this passage and thinking on the circumstances and trying to find some grip. There's a moment this week where watching all that was happening in the events, if I'm just being honest with you, um, got to me and just stirred me. And, and I just, why, why, why is this happening again? And why is all of this hatred being allowed to, to just, just spread all over our world? And whether it's racism or whether it's rioting, by the way, both of them are wrong. Absolutely against God's word. All acts of violence are ungodly. And so this this was getting to me and, and just sitting on my back porch and listening to the wind. I was reminded that God has created all things. There's not a fish in the sea or a bird in the air that is not known by God. There's not a writer. There's not a racist. There's not a victim of racism. There's not a single person on the planet that is not known by God, intimately known. He knows our thoughts. He knows our ways. He knows everything that we are because He created us. He is sovereign creator God and His reign over His creation is universal. All authority, all power. There is no place, no person, no power that reigns over His reign. He is over all things. The government, the National Guard, the military. I mean, I think about this week as... as one news reporter said that the National Guard is even outnumbered by the rioters. What are we going to do? And I go, God's sovereign. God's in control. He's sovereign over mobs. He's sovereign over foreign governments. He's sovereign over local governments. He's sovereign over illnesses and over trials and anything else that you might face. Because all of these things are under his reign as creator. Psalm 102 says of old. Speaking to the Lord of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Praise God. Sovereign over his creation. Later on in Acts chapter 17, Paul is before the council there at Athens, a similar situation, not a ruling body in their decision making, but a thinking body making decisions about the doctrine that these men were preaching and wanting to hear more, at least curiously. And Paul makes a similar statement when he when he speaks to the men there at what's called the Areopagus, the council there, verse 24 This is Acts 17 says the God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Love this. Our our self-existent God doesn't need anything or anyone else to prop him up and to support him. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And he goes on to say that in him we live and move and have our being. He is our creator that's why this prayer goes to him. He is he is the one to whom we pray. He's the one to whom we appeal, because as Psalm 124 says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. When we go to him, we appeal to him as the authority over all things. To be bold in our faith is to recognize where authority comes from. It is to surrender our lives fully to his authority. Our nature is to think that somehow we can control all of the variables. But in reality, supernatural boldness says, I'm going to both surrender and trust in certainty. If you've been following our prayer times throughout the week, you'll know that yesterday we spent some time in Hebrews 11. And we don't have a blind faith that just says, I'm going to put my faith in the creator God and then just just hold on for the ride and and close my eyes, if you will, as my teenager is driving the car. That's not the kind of faith that we have. The kind of faith says, I know the one who's steering this thing. I know the one who's in charge. And I am certain and sure that everything that he does is good and right. I believe it to be true. That's the kind of faith that we are describing When you trust in the Lord as the creator of all things, the one who created you, this is the kind of relationship that we're describing. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Number two, it's not only faith in the Lord as a creator, a sovereign creator, but faith in our sovereign savior. Faith in our sovereign savior. Verse number 25 says that. Who through the mouth of our father, David, sovereign Lord, they're praying to praying to Jesus. The one who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? This is a this is a statement that's quoted from the Old Testament. In fact, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is quoted word for word from Psalm two. So he says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What a riot that was. Verse 27, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is a statement of union with Christ. The threats that they were experiencing, in essence, they're praying, we're not the first to experience this. In fact, just moments ago, even days ago, just weeks ago, it feels like just yesterday. Jesus was, in fact, put on trial by the same people that are now putting us on trial. 
And we've not been crucified yet. We've not been ultimately arrested and sentenced to death yet. We've not even shed any blood for the sake of Jesus' name yet. I'm convicted often. So I think about the passage in Hebrews 12. We talk about pressing on and laying aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And then this subject of trial is dealt with in Hebrews 12, verse three. It says, consider him who endured the who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. That's what they're doing here. Lord, we remember Jesus. We remember what happened to him. And verse four is so convicting in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Believer, can I ask you this morning, has it gotten so hard in your life that you've shed blood for the cause of Christ? Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. Our God who is sovereign in Jesus' death is also sovereign in our life and in our death. We trust Him. We go on living boldly for our faith and it requires faith. But more than just a statement of union with Christ, notice that this is a statement of God's sovereignty over our salvation. It's an incredible thing. The cross was not a backup plan. The cross was not God's contingency plan because everyone else failed or because there wasn't another way out or because he had to come up with some way to bail out these humans again. The cross was the plan from the beginning. What the church recognizes here is that this passage quoted from Psalm 2 was actually written about Jesus to come. And it's almost as if it's written at the very same time. It's, it's almost like it's a narrator's comments, right? About what happened to Jesus. The Gentiles all gathered against your holy servant. All of this happened according to the... It's so clear. According to whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We've already seen this in Acts 2. This shouldn't come as a surprise. Jesus being delivered up according to, remember the words, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The cross was always God's plan. Jesus had to come and die for sinners. Salvation is under the sovereign hand of God. Praise God for that, because I can't mess that up. (laughs) I can't mess the only hope for the world up with my life because Jesus has already offered up himself. That should be stirring for you, Christian. That should stir you to faith. Because God had the plan of salvation established and your life established in it before he ever created the world. And, and, it should be convicting for those who do not know Christ. Because in the midst of that, know that God isn't somehow out of control. But that he now commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. And it's your only hope. It's your only hope. Because he will sit on the throne for eternity. He's sovereign in salvation. And third and finally. As we close this text together. Faith in our sovereign helper. Faith in our sovereign helper. So. Based on his sovereignty and creation. God, you created us. You fashioned us for your glory, for your honor. You've created all things. All things are under your control. And because you've saved us, 
Because in your mercy and grace as a holy God, you didn't look upon my sin, but you looked upon the righteousness of Christ. His love for me and my faith in Him. And you saved me. Because of that, I cry out to you, God, right now. Because I don't have another answer. I need help. As I stand before this persecution, I need your help. And that's what they do. They say, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Means that God is there in the midst of your life. And that he is inclined to help you. That's good news. That you have a helper. The psalmist says that I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The creator of the universe and the savior of the world is willing to help you this morning. In what particular way does he want to help us? Well, he hears the prayers of his people who are asking for things according to his will. And they're praying. What are they praying for? They're praying for boldness. The very thing that they were called to do and commanded to do. They're praying that God would do in them. And so they pray that they would speak the word with all boldness. They pray for essentially two things. Number one, they pray for boldness to preach his word. We want to keep speaking this message. And then they pray for power to attend that word. God, would you keep giving boldness in us to proclaim this message? And would you keep attending that message through signs and miracles as people's lives are being completely changed? Would you keep advancing your gospel from here to the ends of the world? And I would submit to you this morning that that ought to be the prayer for boldness for this church. God, would you do a work among us so that we just we just Speak your word all of the time like this. This is what it looks like here. One of our core values as a church is Bible saturation. We, we want the Bible to be at the very center and woven through everything that we do. And we pray that that God would cause us to speak his word. And that attending that word, people would be saved. Marriages would be restored. People who are, are violent would repent of their violence and turn to Christ. People who are stubborn in some sort of a sinful lifestyle will submit their lives to Jesus Christ and trust Him as Savior and Lord. This is our prayer as the Word is preached over and over. I hope that that's what you're praying. It's my prayer every week as we gather as a church and as we scatter. That the word would be preached with power and with boldness. That God would apply his word by his spirit to his people. And that as his people go out and scatter from this place. That his word would be on our lips. And that the spirit of God would attend that word. And apply that word to the hearts of the lost. That's my prayer for you. Every week. Every single time we gather. And I hope that that's happening in your life. In order for it to happen. We must boldly trust our sovereign creator. We must boldly trust our sovereign Savior and our helper. In faith, and a faith that drives us to obedience and to preaching and praying, and obedience and preaching and praying, so that as we live out our lives according to God's word, that we're empowered to confront the world with the truth of the gospel, with supernatural boldness. 
The end of this story, as we come to it this morning, says that when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I wonder what that was like. I wonder what that moment was like. When this group of people were so convinced that God's power had filled them for his purpose, that they were willing to do whatever it took to get the gospel to the world. I wonder what it would look like at Southwide Baptist Church if the same were true of us. And we prayed like that. And we lived like that. And we preached like that every time. And we went out into the world and believed that God was going to shake the world for Christ. I want you to know this morning very clearly and unequivocally that the answer to racism and the answer to rioting and the answer to pandemics and the answer to everything else is nothing that we throw at it practically. Everything is, the, is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. It's the only hope of the world. Say, Jesus can't heal a disease. Absolutely, Jesus can heal a disease if he desires to. But the greatest healing anyone needs is the healing in the gospel. You say Jesus can't change a a writer's heart. If he can raise a beggar to walk again, he can change a writer's heart. You say Jesus can't solve racism. We've been trying to do that for 300 years in this nation and beyond. Jesus can't solve any of that. Absolutely, Jesus can solve that because he has united people and is uniting people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group into one race. Because racism is not even in the Bible. God, God can change all of this. Through Jesus Christ, if the church preaches the gospel and Jesus takes that gospel and applies it to the hearts of people and changes their lives. We've got to be bold. We've got to be bold. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room this morning? I wonder, I wonder if you in this morning, uh, you in this place this morning, have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only way that you come to a place of supernatural faith Bold faith for the gospel is if you come to faith in Jesus Christ at all. Maybe you listening in on our on our live stream this morning, maybe there's some of you there that are in your living room or wherever you are and you you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And you're frantic and you're worried about whatever next caravan has come into your town. Can I tell you that Jesus is the hope of all the world? And the reality is the same thing that's in those racists, the same thing that's in those writers, the same thing that's in all of the rest of the world is in you and I. We are by nature sinners. And if nothing changes in our life, our path is headed to destruction. The reality is we need Jesus to save us. So have you ever put faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you ever turned from your sin and trusted in Christ? Today, we want to call you to do that on the authority of God's word. Repent and be baptized and follow Jesus today. Repent and be saved. Trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. Trust in his resurrection today, that his cross was enough to to set you free from your sin, to satisfy the wrath of a holy God, that Jesus died in your place and that he was raised to life and that today he'll be your king and your Lord. If you'll give your life to him, he'll save you today. If you'll cry out to him as a holy God and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me right right where you're seated, wherever you're seated at your home. You can do that right now. Just simply cry out to the Lord. Jesus, would you save me? I I trust in your cross. 
I believe you died for me and your blood will cleanse me. And today I need to be saved. Would you save me, Jesus? I give my life to you. I submit everything I am to you. I repent and believe today. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you this morning in just a few moments when we extend this time of invitation. I encourage you, maybe you're in this room, you've never trusted in Jesus. I encourage you to come to this altar. I'll be down front. There'll be others who are available to come and pray with you, share with you more about what it means to be a Christian. We want to give you a link on our on our uh, Facebook page. That link's actually posted there for you, mydecision.southwidebaptist.com. Love for you to click on that and tell us about what God's doing in your life. But today's the day to respond. Right now, today, we want you to respond and follow Jesus. Others of you, you need to pray right now that God would move upon his church. And that we would, without wavering and without reservation and unable to be silenced, that we would proclaim the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. Would you stand with me all across the room? I'm going to pray. And we're going to extend this time of invitations open to you. These altars are open if you need to come and pray. Just as soon as I pray, we're going to open this altar. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts this morning. God, we need you. We confess that. And so we pray, God, that you would move on our hearts and lead us to obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins to play, these altars are open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.